from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, but in everything, all she had to live on. The word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. As it so happens, it is right now exactly 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the 11th month. So why don't we just bow our heads in reverent memory of those that have given their lives for us that we may be able to worship in freedom. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. <coughs> Thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege that you give to us in this world where we can come and study your word, preach your word, talk about you in freedom. We thank you, God, for those that have come before us and have given their sacrifice, given their lives, limbs, and even their freedom, that they may become prisoners of war that we may have the freedom to worship. We thank you for them, and we thank you for your plans. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I couldn't help this morning. I walked out beautiful, sunshiny morning, and uh, chickens were making some noises, and the dogs were anxious to see what the heck I was doing out there. I couldn't help but note that even though our veterans fought for our freedoms in the World Wars I and II, there would not have been the freedoms, even those freedoms, to preserve were it not for a reformer named Martin Luther. It was because of his work that the West was opened up and the individuality of humans came back to the fore and we were made to be able to live with a freedom of thought, freedom of worship, away from the pressure and the oppression of the mother church we call the Roman Catholic Church. So Lutherans have a very special relationship with the Western world and with the freedom of worship. It was part of my thinking this morning and gratefulness to God 
Let's turn our attention now to the Gospel of the day. Mark chapter 12. We just read verses 38 to 44. I can't help but notice that uh, verses 38 are a parallel to what we find in Matthew chapter 23. The difference is in Matthew 23, Jesus goes a little bit longer, talks a little bit longer about the leaders of the Jews. Not only how they are so proud and how they like attention, but he says further that they are not special. They are not like they pretend to be. And he says that there is no priest but Jesus Christ. There is no teacher but Jesus Christ. That's Matthew 23. One day we'll focus on the balance of that chapter. But let's go back to this. Jesus is at the temple with the disciples. And they take note as all these people are walking in and out of the, of the temple. Going through what was called the daily sacrifices. More than likely, this was on a Sabbath day. Because of the activity that's taking place. On the Sabbath day they would come to worship. They would bring their offerings and so on. On other days they would bring their animals for sacrifice. So we can kind of assume that this was on the Sabbath. He was watching these people come in and get all dressed up in fancy clothes. And put on their fancy righteous faces and the, the righteous look. You know we have that in. All Christians, we all, when I say we, I mean we all, we have a different look about us. And we usually start to get it on about uh, an hour or so before church. And we begin to uh, get our righteous look on and our clothes and we want to make sure we look just right. And these people were not different. And when we go and when we worship one with another, we want to be at least as righteous as everybody else. We don't want to look too unrighteous. We don't want to look too worldly. So we do a good job. Now this is the warning to us as well as to the disciples and about the Jews. He says they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. I don't know about you. But I have been to, over the last few years, many, many, many banquets, especially around the Christmas season. The South Asian Christians and many other ethnic uh, Christians, ethnically new Canadians, have lots of Christmas banquets. And everybody puts on their best clothes and they'll pay $25, $30, $40 for a banquet for Christmas. And uh, we were having a discussion among some people the other day. Yeah, how many of these banquets do you go to in a season? You can't afford to go to too many. But you know what happens? The people who organize the banquets, they invite all the pastors. And there's a no charge for the pastors. And not only that, they have a special table for the pastors. And then when the banquet begins, they ask all the pastors to stand up and be honored by everybody. Then the most difficult part that the organizers of the banquets have is, okay, 
which pastor are we going to ask to say the opening prayer so the other ones don't get mad? Which pastor are we going to ask to do the sermon so the other ones don't get angry? Even to the extent that who is going to say grace over the dinner? So what they try to do is get as many prayers as possible into the banquet so they can include all the pastors to do one thing or another. And in addition to that, other pastors will go and volunteer. Oh, can I just say a, a word to the people? And the word ends up being like three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, and before long they end a sermon. So now what some of the organizers have done, they have stopped asking pastors to do anything. And they get either lay people, lay members, an elder in the church or someone to come and do the prayer. And they get some other pastor who's not brown or dark, you know. So they can't argue now. We've got a, a different pastor to come and say the sermon. And what is this all about? It's about the leaders and the pastors who are competing with one another about who is more important than the other. This is what Jesus is talking about. What was taking place then is taking place now, but it is not restricted only to pastors, only it's to believers. So they devour the widow's houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished more severely. When it talks about devouring widow's houses, they used to lend money to the widows. Widows had no income. They couldn't work. Their husbands died. They had no way to make money. And so if they had no way to make money, people would lend them money. And when they couldn't pay back the money, what would they do? They would take their homes. But still, act as if they were righteous. Act as if they were righteous. Now here's another part that we don't have in our church here. Because the prayers that we have here are read from a prayer book. Am I right? But if you go to churches where they have what they call free prayer. Free prayers are not read. It's spoken. There are some people I know. I hear them praying. And I, I can feel it's from the heart. It's loving, beautiful prayers. There are others who will pray in public, they're afraid because they don't have experience, they don't know how to pray, so they kind of stumble a little bit. But it's from the heart. And God accepts that prayer, God knows that prayer, He knows their feelings. Then there are prayers of those that are well practiced. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I heard one not too long ago. Not only do they have long prayers, in their prayers, they tell God about the Bible. Dear God, you know that the prophet Isaiah said this, and they go on to say, tell God what prophet Isaiah said, and what prophet Isaiah did. Then you know that what Elisha said, they're telling God all this. Real, in reality, what they're doing is impressing all of us how much they know about the Bible. And further... We use prayers to preach at people. You're lucky you haven't heard too many of those prayers. But I can tell you, if you've been to those churches where we have open prayer, you hear it all the time. 
in my years as a pastor of the Adventist Church, I'd go through and study with the elders and explain to them that here's the model of the prayer that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. It's not five minutes long. It has different parts to it. You say thank you, you say forgiveness, you say your supplications, and you ask God to protect us and keep us, and that's it. It's not a show. But this problem with long prayers is not a new problem. It was there then. It was there then. It was, with, it was there at that time. And Jesus said, look at them. What are they doing? They're showing their what? Their righteousness with the prayers rather than humility. What is prayer? Prayer and worship. It's an expression of the condition of our hearts that is humble, that has come to the realization that we are nothing and we are in need of a Savior. We're in need of God. That is prayer. In Old English, if you read language like the time from Shakespeare, if a person who is in need goes to a person who has a solution to the problem, they would say, I pray, I pray that you help me. Am I right? Pray. I ask. I ask. It's not a demand. It's not telling God. It's not educating God. It's not educating people. So it says, he warns about the long public prayers. By the way, in private, it's your home. You want to pray for hours and hours and hours? You do that. It's good. We know the example of Jesus in prayer. He spent all night in prayer. In private. So we don't discourage long prayers in that way. Let's go on. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, temples had separate boxes, separate containers for different kinds of offerings. Some of the offerings were just what we call free will offerings, so you don't uh, have to pay anything. You pay whatever your heart and your pocketbook can afford. The other was taxes. They call them temple taxes. And people were given a certain percentage of what their wealth was what their income was. It represented what they made. Now, the, the box for the, uh, and the, the, the temple, outside the temple, there was two parts to it, where the men would congregate and the women would congregate. The free will offerings box was put closer to the area where the women were, so the women could also participate in that part of the offering. Because the, the box, the taxes, well, where the men would go, because the head of the house used to bring the taxes for the home. So that was where the men were. The other box was closer to where the women were. This is the picture. So Jesus is sitting opposite where the boxes were, where the containers were, for giving the offering. And he watches. And he takes note. Yet there are men who are bringing large amounts of money, and not quietly putting it in the box, 
They're putting it in a way so everybody can see that they're putting a lot of offering. What does that do? What does that do? One, it gives them a lot of influence in the temple. Am I right? New lady, we were building a church. I won't tell you the city. We're building a church and we're having a meeting on certain designs of the church. I was the chairman of the committee. I was not a pastor at that, at that church. And a uh, big discussion came up. And this lady had a lot of money. And she would not change her mind about how she wanted certain things done. You know what she said? She said, I think the committee should realize that we should live by the golden rules. The golden rule. And then she recited her version of the golden rule. You know what it was? He who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> That's a good golden rule, isn't it? He who has the gold makes the rules. That's the golden rule. So these guys would take money and let the church know that they gave the church a lot of money. The synagogue got a lot of money. So they had influence with the priests. They had influence with the temple. And further, it would let everybody else know that I'm giving a percentage of my wealth. But if the percentage of my wealth is this much, imagine how much my wealth is. You get it? The next guy would come over, how much did he give? Okay, I'll give this much. So it looks like, so they were giving a higher percentage of what they had to give just so they could have the praise and honor of the world to show how wealthy they were. Now, here comes a little old lady. I shouldn't say that. I don't know if she's old. It just says poor widow. Could have been a young widow. I tell you the truth, he says. No, many rich people threw in large amounts. Verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. I didn't know you could divide a penny into smaller fractions. In Canada, they don't even have pennies anymore. You go to McDonald's, and if your coffee is a dollar thirty-eight, they'll charge you dollar forty. I don't know why they don't make it dollar thirty-five. They, 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 they kind of square it up, round it up a little bit. Am I right? This woman, a fraction of that penny she had, very little. But look at the, res the response of Jesus. They all gave out. Oh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. How is that? How is that? She has put everything, everything, everything that she has. Now I ask you, if you have a friend and your friend is very, very wealthy, right? And on your birthday, he gives you a gift certificate for uh, 50 bucks. I know, 50 bucks is a lot of money. Gives you a $50 gift certificate. 
And you know another person has no money, hardly any money. And even for them to get a bus ticket to come to church is difficult. They go somewhere and they spend $2 to buy a little candle and a card and say something nice on it. Who do you think sacrificed more? The person who has no money who gave you a little candle or a card or a person who gave $50 but they make $500,000 a year? You know the answer. You know what happens. You know who has a greater heart toward you. And the same is true here. She gave everything that she had. The lesson that Jesus is teaching here is understood and practiced by the early Christians. The disciples learned this. Not only did they learn it, they practiced it and they taught it. They taught it. So all the followers of Jesus Christ began to live their life this way, where they learned to give everything that they had. Because they realized that what God gave them was not for themselves. God gave it to them that they may help the world with it. To find the reality of that experience, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44. I'll go to verse 42. They, meaning the early disciples, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So who is doing the teaching? The apostles. The same apostles that Jesus was teaching here in Mark chapter 12, about this little widow who gave everything, those same apostles are now teaching the new believers... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're praying, they're eating together, they're spending time together learning. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Pay attention to this next verse, verse 45. Selling all their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. How much did they sell? A little bit of it? They sold all of it. They didn't have to. They only did what was required from their conscience, by their conscience. Here's what happens. I will only give based on my experience with God. If I give to the church or to God because I'm made to feel guilty, that's no good. It's not from guilt. If I'm made to give because I'm going to get something back, that's not giving, that's investing. When we were away to Calgary, 
a wonderful man, Dr. John Crane, who I think has become best friends with uh, Rosanna. Is he still in touch? Yes. Great guy, isn't he? I write him, and we're having a bit of a discussion. He did a great presentation, but I didn't agree with his presentation. But I didn't want to disagree in public. I think it's rude when you get a pastor making a presentation and you begin to hammer him and, you know, it's not nice. He's a guest. Not only that, he's a senior pastor. He's a doctor, 75 years old. But after the meetings, I took him to a room by myself. I said, Dr. Cran, I've got to talk to you. He says, what's that? I said, thank you for the presentation. His presentation basically was this. That... We must require and encourage our churches to give a 10% tithe as stated in the Bible. And he, of course, referred to Malachi and Melchizedek, Abraham. Then he talked about programs. That these are the kinds of programs we should have in church for giving. And take a percentage of this and a percentage of that. disagree with you. He said, okay, tell me about it. So I did. The Old Testament. In the last place this tithing is spoken was the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Talks about a tithing that was for the Levites, for the people of the temple, because they had no other source of income. And they were not allowed to buy any homes or any land. And it was for that temple system. But when that temple system was stopped, there was no more requirement to tithe in the New Testament. We have no requirement to tithe. We have a mention in Hebrews, which makes reference to uh, Abraham going to Melchizedek and paying him a tithe. But when we studied Melchizedek and Abraham, Abraham didn't pay tithe on anything that he had at all. All Abraham did was pay a tithe on the spoils of war. Am I right, Sister Amy? On the spoils of war he paid tithe. Because when he walked through a land, and in order to get back to his home, he had to walk through a land where the king, we call the priest, Melchizedek, he had to pay him a percentage of his spoils that he got from war. We cannot refer to that as a This tithe. At that time, in the time of Abraham and Melchizedek, tithe was a common thing paid to various kings for exactly this thing. So my suggestion to Dr. Crane was this. Then we follow the New Testament. In the New Testament, the teaching is clear. It becomes a responsibility of the pastor of the church and the teachers. To bring people to Jesus Christ and bring the gospel to the people. Now when we are converted, when our hearts are given to God, God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants you. You see the difference? God wants the people. When God has you, how much of your money belongs to God? How much of it? All of it. All of it. A church that is completely convicted and given to God is never, ever, ever short of money. Never. And we see that as an example in Acts chapter 2. When the people were convicted, when their hearts were given to God, 
There was no problem with money. Never. We don't need programs. We don't need ideas. We don't need manipulation. Credit to Dr. Cran. He said to me, I agree with you. He says, I've written a few books. I think you should write a book on this other side. And maybe we can do presentations together. Good man. Didn't take offense to our study together. But the Bible teaches us that everything that we have belongs to who? God. That is a doctrine of stewardship. Stewardship not only of money, but our time. Our talents. So whatever talent I have, whatever time I have, it all belongs to God, and I have to put it in His work, keeping enough for me that I may get by and do what I need to do for myself. Sometimes it takes time to reorganize our lives. Sometimes it takes effort to give up where we are. And the only one who can help us is the power of God. That day by day, that we may be transformed. That we can change and become like that woman. That God gives us a new heart. A heart that is selfless and not proud. Humble. That we may be able to live the way God wants us to live. That we can be like the new church in the New Testament. As I work by the power of God to transform my life through Him, I pray that all of us join hands and ask God to give us the strength that we may move day by day away from our dependence on ourselves and depend completely on God. It's my prayer for all of us. Amen.